Heavenly Father, as we just uh, sit down and settle down to get into your word, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that again, I just I always ask the same thing and I always will, Lord, that we would hear from you, that your Holy Spirit would just use this time, that as we get into your word, our Bibles, Lord, your, Lord, that you would just speak to us, Lord, that you would, I would just be that empty vessel now, Lord, I just pour out myself, Lord, and I just ask for that outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord, as we study these difficult scriptures today, Lord, talking about judgment and end times and prophecy, Lord, that it's sometimes they're hard to hear, Lord, but you would, you would speak to us, Lord, and you'd use this as you would use all over your word, Lord. So, Lord, I just ask for your presence, and I ask, Lord, that you would speak to the children and that you would just use this time, Lord, that they would, if maybe some of them may or may not even know you, Lord, but, Lord, just speak to them. Speak to their hearts. Let them know that you are their God. So, Lord, we just come to you in worship right now as we get into your word and just ask for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everyone got a Bible? If not, we have some you can use. If you need a Bible, just keep that one. Consider that a gift from Jesus if you need one. We have Burmese Bibles if you would like a Burmese Bible. We have different translations if you would like that translation. Whatever you'd like, make sure you got a Bible, all right? If you're using your phone, that's just great. Just make sure to have it silenced and not on Facebook. I see a lot of smiles. All right. So it's been interesting. Uh, some of you are just coming in, uh, but the last few weeks we've been studying on a lot of prophecy, right? And as a pastor, I'll tell you, when you start to preach through some of these things, it can be difficult. You know, some people are interested in it, some maybe are not. Um, some people don't understand it. Some are not even concerned with it. But I believe I need to teach through the entire Word of God. And so when we come to sections like this, I don't skip over them. I study, and then I bring what I believe a message from the Holy Spirit to you through these scriptures, even though they can be difficult to teach through. Because these scriptures are just as important as any other scriptures. And the message that's presented here by the Holy Spirit is just as relevant to us today as any other scriptures. So, you know, about two weeks ago, we were in Luke chapter 21. Uh, many of you probably can remember that. And as we went through that chapter, you can look in there if you want, but we, we saw Jesus and he spoke prophetically of the destruction of the temple. We read that, right? And no stone will be, every stone will be overturned. And we saw, we know that took place in 70 AD. Now in them passages, as we studied through Luke, we also saw that a warning from Jesus as he warned each and every one of us from Jesus's time all the way to now, warning us of many false prophets that would come. And we looked into that, and we see this is still happening today and has happened before, and we are warned that many false prophets will come. And, you know, we learned as we looked at these prophetic verses, we also learned that there's going to be a lot of persecution of Christians. We have seen that take place before, and we still know there's still more of that to come. So we've been shown, we've been told about this, these are the things to come. And then Jesus continued after this, and he foretold or prophesied about his second coming. And we started to look into that. And we saw through the scriptures how we will, he will come in the clouds. And then when he comes in the clouds with his angels, he will then draw the faithful up. And we refer to this as the rapture, right? So we can see through these verses as I've been teaching through them that Jesus is preparing each one of us and letting us all know what will take place and what we should expect and what should we should be looking for. 
Now, in Matthew 25, we went last week, right? You can turn to Matthew 25. And we looked at two parables. Remember? The parable of the ten bridesmaids. And then if you, the parable of the three servants. And then today we're going to finish that chapter. But as we looked at these, both of these parables, really what we saw is a one main lesson is really what I saw in there. Just to summarize the whole thing, the whole one hour sermon last week. We saw through these parables that each one of us, every one of us as Christians are personally responsible to be good stewards of what God has given each one of us. That we have a responsibility. And as we saw that, we, we also learned that we can't put on, put off that responsibility, that personal responsibility on the government or the church or someone else. But each one of us have been gifted different abilities or different blessings, and we're to use that as we're awaiting Jesus' coming. So we are responsible to that. Today, we're going to be in Matthew 25, verse 31, and we're going to continue. So if everyone's got their Bibles open, Matthew 25, Verse 31. We're going to start with reading 31 to 33. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand, and the goats on his left hand. We'll stop there for now. I mean, right away, just just look back at verse 31. There's so much there, right in the first verse that we read. And I looked at this, and I think I see four different parts right in the first verse that we looked at. You see different four different parts? I saw, first is, who is the Son of Man? This is important. What does it mean he will come in his glory? Second part I saw. Third part, it's talking about angels. What do we know about these angels? Then a fourth part. What's the fourth one? What is this glorious throne? See that just in that verse 31? There's a lot there. I mean, you could really spend a lot. We'll go over it real quick. The Son of Man, simply. It's Jesus Christ we're talking about here. Make no mistake. It's the Messiah. It's our Lord, the Savior, our Savior. So when it says Son of Man, that's who we're referring to, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now look at the second part. It says, what does it What does it mean to come in his glory? I'm not going to get into real detail, but this is the point when Jesus will come. Now, this is talking about his second coming, right? It's when everyone, when it says about his glory, everyone will see Jesus coming in the clouds, coming in the sky, and they will see him truly in his fullest, right? They will see him as creator of existence, I don't even know how to, I mean, how would you even word that? What you're going to see when he comes in his second coming. It will be in all the splendor. You will recognize him truly as God and the creator of everything that exists. When we talk about coming in his glory. It's beyond words I could ever explain it. But there will be a time when he does come and everyone will be looking up at this second coming. And they will recognize Jesus as God and recognize for him for who he is. When he talks about this glory. It talks about angels. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week, but Jesus isn't just coming alone in all of this. He's coming with all the angels of heaven, it says. And you think about that. Um, angels, you know, we, it's mentioned throughout the Bible, right? There's several, many occurrences where man has encountered angels, right? And each time the response is very similar when man encounters an angel, pretty much. I mean, there's, there's, there's fear, there's respect. I mean, most of the time they're always bowing down right on their faces. Like, I mean, the power is immense, right? 
The angels usually are, you know, get up. I'm not God. Don't bow to me. Um, but you think about the instant response that we see out through the Bible of when a man meets an angel, what, what his response is. Now think about that. That's only like seeing one or two angels. Imagine all the angels of heaven coming down. Imagine that. It would be, uh, it's, there's no way to explain that. It's amazing. Uh, what is this glorious throne? You see that? This is a real place. You know that? It's here. This is in the new temple that will be in Jerusalem. This is where Jesus will come and sit in the temple and rule here upon earth. This is a real place on earth in the millennial reign. So right there in that first, uh, first, first we see four parts, and it's, this is all describing Jesus' second coming. And there's a lot there. Um, I, I just want to reference one scripture as, before we move on. Everyone can turn to Daniel chapter 7. Verses 23 through 28. And it talks about this. Then he said to me, This fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everyone in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten. Who will subdue three of them? He will defy the Most High who oppresses the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. But then the court will pass judgment, and all, see, all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. And it goes on, Daniel continues there. This is just an amazing, amazing reminder of who Jesus is. You know, so often, as we look at these passages, we think Jesus, right? I mean, most of us always think Jesus. We read the Gospels. He came as a meek man. I mean, he came as a humble man. He came to serve the people. Then we know, that's how we kind of picture Jesus. We picture him going to the cross for our sins, right? I mean, he allowed himself to be placed on that cross, to allow himself to have each and every one of our sins placed on him. Then he died. We know, we know this. We know then that he was raised, raised from the dead, right? But, we see this. This is a picture most of us have of Jesus. You know, the beard, the long hair, kind of hippie-looking guy, right? That's, I mean, it's not incorrect, but we've got to see the other side of Jesus, who he is. This is God. He's going to come down in the heavens with all the angels of the heaven, in all of his glory. You know, I was thinking of this as I was reading this. You know, when we pray, I've kind of studied a little bit here and there. How do we pray? How do, you know, what would be an outline for prayer, right? And usually if you see most in the Bible, when you pray, you see an outline that you start with defining or acknowledging or giving God glory or praise for who he is, right? We see that in the Lord's Prayer and other places, you know, the God of all creation. Uh, you go on and think of this. When you pray, this is the God. Jesus is going to come down from the heavens, with all the angels of heavens, in all of his glory. This is who we're praying to. This is who we have a relationship with. And we don't always, I don't think we always get that. This is a different picture to look at Christ in this light, in this picture. So I think it's, it's neat to look at it this way. He, you know, as we're reading this, and Jesus is teaching this, just think of this, right? But in this time, Jesus is just days now 
to allow himself to be beaten, to be humiliated, and then to be placed on the cross. This same God that's going to come down in the heavens with all the angels. It's so amazing to me that Jesus would descend here to earth as a man, serve the people around him, allow himself to be placed on that cross, paying the price of each and every one of our sins, then to be resurrected, to go to heaven, and then you read today when the time will come when he will come back in all his glory. I just It's amazing to me. All of this said, each one of us can have a personal one-on-one relationship with him, the God of this glory. It's just amazing to me. We're going to continue in today's lesson. Uh, let's look at look again, though, at verse 32. I see, we know that he's using this analogy of sheep and goats. And, you know, as you look at this, it may seem strange to some of us, right? Sheep and goats. I don't know, how many of you are really familiar with goats and sheeps? I mean, not many of us are goat herders or sheep herders, right? I mean, maybe we've read some in books, you know, kind of because we're Christians on what sheep are. Not as much goats, but sheep really studied their character and their nature. But I don't think any of us are really truly familiar what it is to raise sheep or goats or be a herder of such animals, right? Now, we know in Jesus' time this is a very common profession, right? And in Jesus' time, this teaching would be extremely relevant to the people, right? They would understand this because this was in their culture. Now, many of you may not know this about me, is I grew up in a very small town in Nevada, which maybe some of you know where Nevada is, some of you don't. Very small town. My high school class only had 12 to 15 students, to give you how small. The whole town was like 600 people. So I grew up in a very small town. And this town, the main profession or the jobs people had were either ranching, farming, or they worked in gold mines. And so, because I grew up in that community. Now, it was a lot of cowboys there. You guys know cowboys. You see them on TV. I wasn't a cowboy, right? But I did have a hat and I had my boots. That doesn't make you a cowboy, by the way. But this community that I worked in, everyone was either, you know, ranching, farming, or mining. So if you grew up in that community, right, you know a lot about these items, right? Even if you weren't weren't a cowboy, I know a lot about raising cows. I know a lot about Ranching. I know a lot about raising, uh, growing alfalfa or hay because I grew up in that. And as a young adult, I actually worked on a lot of ranches and I worked on a lot of um, hay farms and so driving tractors and doing different things. So I understood that culture because I grew up in it, right? Just like these Jewish people understood what it was to be a sheep herder or a goat herder, even if they weren't actual shepherds. They would understand a lot about it because that was their culture. That's what they knew. So I knew growing up in Nevada what it meant to ride a fence line. Some of you are like, what's that mean? I know what that means because I grew up in that. We actually rode fence lines because we'd, we'd take, we didn't have, you think we all had horses. We were on quads or actually motorcycles. <laughs> we would ride the fence, right? And we would check the fence for any holes or broken fences to make sure the cows couldn't get out. This would take days at times. I mean, we'd cover, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of acres. So I know what it meant to ride a fence line. I also knew what it meant to eat Rocky Mountain oysters. Some of you may get that. So I grew up in that culture. But many of us don't understand exactly what it means to be a shepherd. The the people in Jesus' time understood 
about sheep and goats, and they understood that these animals could go out and they could go into the mountains and they can go into the pastures and they could be together. They knew this. They also knew that by the at the end of each day, they would have to separate the goats and the sheep. And that the, the goats, they like to be warm together. They like to group up together, where the sheep would actually separate out more because they had all the wool on them. And so the, the sheep actually preferred more open air. So every night, even though they'd be together all day long, in the evening, the shepherd would actually separate the sheep from the goats, even though t- during the day they'd all be together. Now, this is an analogy of the sheep and goats and the separation of such animals is common in the Bible. This isn't the only place we see that. I want to look at one. We're going to look at Ezekiel 34, 17. Ezekiel 34, 17. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says to his people. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another, separating the sheep from the goats. Turn back to Matthew. And look again at that verse 32. I want to look at one more thing as we look at that. But remember, this analogy is common throughout the Bible. Look at one more thing if you're looking at verse 32. Do you see, I see one word I want to point out. All. A-L-L. This is an important word. What does all mean? Simple. It means, right? It means everyone. No exceptions. Everyone, according to the verse, all people. There's no exceptions will be separated into two groups on one day, at one point. No one can escape this. It means all, everyone. It's important to realize because a lot of people in today's society sometimes believe they have a, a different way or they can be excluded. There's two groups, and all people will then be separated at one point. There's no choice. It's either, according to the scripture, it's either the left side or the right side. There's no middle. There's Now, there's only... One choice here, right? You either follow Jesus or you don't. That's it. There's no other paths. And also we see here, it is only Jesus who has the authority. Listen to this. It is only Jesus who has the authority to separate between these two groups, which are the righteous and the unrighteous, the followers and the unfollowers, or the faithful and the unfaithful. It's only Jesus who has that authority to separate them two groups. It's not us. It's an important fact. Let's continue. Look at verses 34 through 36. Back in Matthew. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Jesus is prophesying of a final judgment as we read through this. The separation of people that we see here will take place after the seven-year tribulation. Some people maybe would say it would happen before, I believe it happens afterwards. I, I follow, I believe this happens. The separation of the nations, separation of the people will happen, I believe, right after the, following the battle of Armageddon. After the seven year tribulation. Um, so we have, just to give you a close idea, we have the rapture, right? Jesus comes in the clouds. He draws all the believers up with him. Which I believe then, I'm a pre-trib. 
That starts the tribulation, seven years. There's a lot of things that take place there. At the end of the tribulation, you'll have the Battle of Armageddon. Big battle. You can read about it. And then at the end of that, you have here, which we're talking about Jesus' second coming. And this is where the separation will take place that we're talking about today. So it can get a little confusing. And there, I'm going to tell you, there are different views on how exactly this events, the order of the events would take place. Not bearing on what will happen, though. What will happen is still the same. Exactly when you believe it's before the tribulation or after the tribulation, there is different opinions on that, and I respect other people's opinions. I happen to believe this is the order that this will take place after the seven years, right after the Battle of Armageddon, which will then begin the thousand-year reign of Christ here on earth in this throne that we were talking about in the new temple. So it gets a little confusing, but this this uh, separation here, this judgment, will start the thousand-year rule on earth. But what do we see as we know that? Only the sheep in this Scripture, only the believers will be part of this Christ rule here on earth. It's, it's, you can read about it in Revelation 20. Uh, it talks about the next stage, if you want to read it. This is a great white throne judgment. So don't confuse that with what we're talking about today. It gets a little confusing. The great white throne judgment happens after the thousand-year reign. So I just try to get you a little bit of a timeline, and we're not going to spend any more time on that because it gets a little confusing. But I think what's interesting here is it appears that Jesus, do you see that he's using an analogy here, right? This isn't really a parable, but there's an analogy definitely used here. But he's using works. Do you see that? Or actions to qualify one to inherit the kingdom of God. That's kind of not what we normally would see, is it? We must be careful here not to misinterpret this because it's not by works that we do enter the kingdom, but it is in faith in Jesus Christ. But if we have faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in us, there will be works and there will be actions. So it is not by the works alone. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to reiterate that. I want to look at James chapter 2. Many of you are familiar with this verse. James chapter 2 verse 15 Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So interesting. We need to look at that whole pattern because faith is where it begins. But once you have faith in Jesus Christ... There will be fruit. There will be works. If So don't mistake that, though. It is faith alone. But if there is faith, there will be works. So turn back to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to continue in verses 37 through 39. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Interesting. These verses, you see how it starts right away? What The first thing I saw, then these righteous ones. Who are these righteous ones? That's why i got to ask. Who are these people? Do we belong to this group? Who are they in this? I believe in this 
if you really want to get specific into this passage, this passage is talking about the tribulation times, right? So these righteous ones in this text are the ones that were left behind but had come to faith in Jesus during the tribulation. To give you now, this applies to us today. Don't think that take it completely out. This lesson will apply to every one of us sitting here today. But these particular ones are talking about the people in the tribulations that are Christians. The ones that came to faith in Jesus. Now, I also, I looked and I asked, you know, how, how does this happen? How are these people called righteous? I, I want to make this clear. How does one, because anyone here may be wondering, how do you, even today or then, how does one become called righteous in God's eyes? This is simply by accepting the gift, accepting and believing and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Accepting and surrendering our lives to him, becoming his children of God. And through that, we become righteous in God's eyes. And then we would be the ones that God would refer to as the righteous ones. Whether it be Christians today or in the tribulation time. It's still the same. Faith in Jesus. Now these people, they're questioning this, right? You see, they're, they're like, what's going on? They don't understand why Jesus would say they have provided for him. They don't get it. You look at the verses. They don't get it. They don't understand. So let's see Jesus explain this to them in verse, starting in verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When, when you did it to the one of the least of these brothers, of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You see that? A question I, I looked again. As it talks about this, it talks about the least of these, my brothers and sisters. So, who are these brothers and sisters? Who's these least of these brothers and sisters? Who, who is he talking about? Now, I'm, we don't know exactly, right? We can read this. You can read a lot of commentaries. They can say a lot of different things. Some would say that he's referring directly to the Jewish people. Some would say he's referring to Christians in general. Some would just say he's referring to all people in need, right? Who are these people that he's talking about that if you were to fulfill these people's needs that you would be blessed? Who are these people? Now, as I read this and I started pondering this, you know, who is it? Who, who should I be providing for, right, as Christians? What people should we be providing to? Who are these brothers and sisters? Because this is an important question we should be asking if we read this passage. But then I said, that's not the real question. That isn't the question I should be asking. It's not who. I need to ask myself, not who, but am I willing to serve whatever person is in need in the name of Jesus if I'm called to do so? I don't think it's important is who. Am I willing to serve? Whoever God places in front of me, whoever God shows me that I can help. So me, my willingness, I find out, is much more important than who. It's whoever, whoever God tells me to serve. Now, turn to Mark 41. I want to look at something with you real quick. Mark 9:41 It's important here if anyone gives even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah I tell you the truth that person will surely be rewarded We see this principle throughout the Bible that we are to give to the poor we're to clothe you know to treat the sick uh to do all these things but I want to be Personally, I want to be, I want to tell you this, and this is me. I want to be 100% adamant on this too, though. In whatever we do, 
Whatever it is. We, I see a lot of people out here do, that do a lot of things every single day. Whatever we do, if it's feeding the poor, maybe some of you do that here. Maybe it's clothing the needy. I know some, there's a bag of clothes back there we're waiting to give to someone. Maybe it's educating the uneducated. We've got a lot of teachers and educated here. Or maybe it is visiting the sick. I know people that go hospital visits and help out there. Or uh, whatever it is, I, what, however you're serving, however God has placed this in, on your heart and in your life, it needs to be done in the name of Jesus. I believe this adamantly. And I seen it the other day. We were at this school. You know, all these things going on. It was done in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I feel that we are called to help. But those that are receiving our charity, our help, our giftings, should understand that this is because of Jesus. This is why we're doing this. It is Jesus that is blessing them. It's not us. I know they may not completely understand that or grasp that whole principle. But I believe they should know that we are doing this because Jesus has called us to do this and that Jesus loves them. Um, again, before we move in, I want to look one more thing at these brothers and sisters again. I know I told you we don't know exactly who they are. We don't know for sure. But as I read, and I believe this is very possible, that if you look at this scripture, I believe this is probably speaking of the 144,000. So think about that. The 144,000 Jews that will be in the tribulation. So you have these Christians, these people that have came to faith, then you have the 144,000. Think about it. The 144,000, we've read about it, we've heard about it. They will not take the mark, right? You guys have heard this maybe? They will not take the mark. So in order to get through that time, that period, because they have not taken the mark, they will not be able to have jobs. They won't be able to have you know, money. They won't be able to buy or sell anything. They'll be in a really difficult position because they won't take the mark. And it's very possible that these 144,000, if we look at this passage, will be relying on the goodwill of the righteous ones, as he puts it here, or Christians to provide for them. It's very possible this is what he's referring to. Maybe this is who he's speaking of. I believe it's very possible in this context. But either way, the principles that he's teaching apply to every one of us today just the same. That we are to care for those who are unable to care for themselves and provide for people that are unable to provide for themselves. Either way, we are to do that. Let's continue in verse 41 through 43. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Wow. You know, as I started looking at these verses, the first word that kind of stood out to me was the word cursed. It just, wow. What does it mean to be cursed? What is it talking about there? Because these cursed ones, why were they cursed? Am I cursed? How do you break this curse if it was a curse? I started asking questions, right? Because it's cursed people. What is the penalty of the curse? It's a question as I start asking. This curse here is sin. It's a penalty. The penalty of sin is death. This is a sin curse. Now, we know the good news, though, right? I asked, how can this curse be broken? This curse is broken. It's already been broken. Jesus Christ broke that curse. When he allowed himself to be placed on that cross... Therefore, paying the price of our sins and then dying on the cross, being resurrected, he broke that curse. 
That sin curse was broken. All we have to do is accept Jesus Christ in faith. And that curse is broken. It's very clear through Scripture. You see these different... I've heard people talk about generational curses. It's through Jesus all of this is broken. All of it. Now, the first thing... Other thing I looked is I looked at these different verses in 41 through 43. Do you see that the eternal fire? Do you see that there? Hell. That's what it's talking about. It says it was prepared for the devil and his demons. Think about that. And we also know these demons. We know, do you know who the demons are? Just to make sure. It's, it's the fallen angels. Okay? And this is the fallen angels, and it was Satan that had rebelled against God, and God had made this place for Satan, which was an angel also. And this is what hell was prepared for. Did you know that? I, I read this, and I read, and I, you know, I just never really thought about it, I guess. You know, hell was prepared for Satan and the fallen angels? And I researched this a lot after I saw this. After reading this, I don't know, I just assumed hell was prepared for the unrepentant or for the unfaithful. It's clear this place was actually prepared for Satan and his rebellion against God and the angels he took with him. Now, as I thought about that, I don't think God is never, never, never intends for anyone to go to hell. He never wants to see that, ever. But he wishes for every single person, every man, to have eternal life with him in heaven. The truth is, if someone is to go to hell and share with Satan's rebellion, because that's what they're doing, they're sharing with Satan's rebellion, they're saying, I don't believe you're God, I want to be God. It's strictly them refusing to submit themselves to Jesus. It's a choice. I just, I don't know, I read that. It's just amazing to me to remind her that God's intention was never, he didn't create a place with an intention of people going there. Right? Because a lot of times you think of hell. You think, oh, that's where the sinners go. Well, that's true. But that wasn't what caused the creation of hell. It was Satan. God's intention was that no man would go to hell. That all would be saved through the the blood of Jesus Christ. So a lot of times people say, why is there a hell? It wasn't because of you and I. It was because of Satan and the fallen angels. So it's interesting. I don't know. It kind of spoke to me a little bit, a little bit more about character of who God is and what he wants for each one of us. Let's continue in 44 through 45. Then they will reply, Lord, when did you ever see, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and not help you. And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. So what was the the charge, or what was the reason that's presented in these passages, which is resulting in these people being cursed or being thrown into hell. What was the charge? What was the reason? What caused this to happen? Look at the passage. They saw a need, and they turned the other way. Look at verse 45. I notice, if you see here, there's a word that's being used. The, the ones that is talking that are not of faith. It's refused. They refuse to help. They've... Not only refused this, but what they've really refused is Jesus. They refused to submit to Jesus. That's what's the cause of this. 
And I believe that it's showing us that it's only the refusal that we see here to accept Jesus and serve God's people that has led to the judgment. It's a refusal of Jesus. There's only two options here. You either accept Jesus for who he is and who he says he is and follow him, or you refuse him and his commands. There's no other choice here. If we say we accept Jesus and we believe in him, then we will see action as we see in here. If we are followers of Jesus, there will be works as we see here. So I, as we have looked over the last few weeks, and I kind of reviewed it as we start, um, we're going to take communion today, if we want to get that going. Um, as we see these different scriptures we've gone through, through Luke and through Matthew, Luke 21 and Matthew 25, we've seen a pattern in the last few weeks, right? If you can, A lot of you know, weren't here, but you know the stories. We know about the bridemaids, right? They weren't prepared, right? They didn't have oil for their lamps. We see the servants, right? The three servants. We looked at them. Many of you are familiar with it. We saw the third servant. He did nothing with what he was given. He did nothing. In today's passages, we see it's talking about goats and sheep. But we see the goats, right? They did nothing for the people that were in need. And so I see a pattern. If we are Christians, we are to follow the example of Jesus, ministering to the people. We are to do something. We're not to sit idle. Let's look at verse 46. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Two places, two different zip codes, two locations, very different, very, very different places. But we see one thing in common. Both of them are eternal. Both are forever. You know, Jesus very, very boldly very boldly has laid out the truth here, right? Very boldly. And I believe we know that this is this is Jesus' very last message before he was betrayed. His last words before he was betrayed. Think about that. This is what he taught on. I believe that Jesus knew this was his last opportunity to share with some of these people, and he wanted them to hear this hard truth about a separation of the goats and the sheep. If they didn't, if these people did not turn from their sins and turn to a faith in Jesus, that they would suffer eternal judgment. This teaching from Jesus, it's a warning that the day will come when God will come and he, there will be a separation of the unbelievers and the believers. I also saw something else. As each of us await Jesus' second coming, that our actions or our works or you could just simply say how we treat others around us in the world that we're in the place that we're placed in. How we treat others around us. They need to, they need to show, they need to know they do, that if we are spirit filled, if we are full of the Holy Spirit, if Jesus is living in us, we will have the same heart, the same compassion, the same love that Christ did for all the people around us. And we will do what we can to help in these areas as you see this. And I think as we see these actions and these this fruit in our lives, this is what should separate each of us from unbelievers. So the question is, do our actions or our works or just our lives, do they differ, are they different from the world? Are they different from an unbeliever? 
as we get ready to close here and we're going to take communion, uh, can we pass out the communion? Yeah, let's pass it out. I want to look at verse 34 again. Turn back in your Bibles and look at verse 34. I'd like all of us to read it together. It's on the screen so we can read it in the same translation. Mimar is good at this. Let's read this verse together. Ready? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. This is our hope. This is what we believe in, that God will be speaking to us and saying to this one day, to every one of us, this is why Jesus was here. This is why he was sent to earth as a man, to provide that sacrifice for our sins so that we can hear this welcome from God one day, to inherit the kingdom. Come, who you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom. All we must do to inherit this kingdom, to have this said to us, is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's clear from the passages that once we have accepted Jesus to live in us, then the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's will and purpose then will be lived out through us. This then, once that Holy Spirit is living in us, Christ is living in us, this, at that point, this will produce acts or works like the ones mentioned in the passage today. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 5.10 For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. You know, today's pack's Passages are very confronting, right? Or very bold. Um, some even could say it's maybe difficult to hear. But it should confront us with the truth. With the reality that there will be a time of separation. That God will say, goats, sheep, right, left. There's no other, there's no other way. There will be the ones that have eternal life in heaven and those that are cast to eternal judgment into hell. This decision to follow Christ is a personal decision that each one of us have to make. To choose to put our faith in Christ, to follow him, or to rebel against God as Satan did. Does everyone have that? As we take communion today, uh, many of you are kind of familiar with here at Refuge, I believe, uh, we see a lot of tradition that comes with communion or the Lord's Supper. A lot of people do it this way. A lot of people do it that way. Um, I believe that as we look at biblically speaking, I mean, it's very different than our church as a whole celebrates communion. I mean, it was a very intimate setting in the Bible, right? It was where Jesus and the disciples, they came closely together around in a small group. And they took the elements and they did, as Jesus' commandment, commanded them to do, but they did it in observance and remembrance, but also a time of reflection, looking to address them, their own selves and what's going on in their lives. I've done this many times before, and I want to do this again today. I'd like you guys just to, as we each have the elements, I'd like each of you to 
break up into small groups. And we're going to take just a few minutes. And just with the adults out here, just groups four or five, your family, your friends. And I'd like you to take the elements together. And I'd like you to pray with each other in a small group. Just write whoever you're by. And I'd like you to each say, there's three main things we look at. We look at what Christ has done for us. Right? We look and look back to the cross. We see how he's forgave our sins. How he is, there's redemption. Then we also address ourselves and look, are we walking as we should be walking as Christians? Do we have, if we have accepted Christ in our hearts and our lives, do we see these, these fruits in our lives, these actions, these works? They should be present in our life. And then we look forward, as we say here, and we look forward to the promises that God has for each and every one of us. And look for the promises that he has for us as a church, but also personally. I was looking at a quote. Maybe some of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. And he put a great quote that I think kind of encompassed this message. His quote was, The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste your time bothering. Rather, you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And I love that quote from C.S. Lewis. You know, stop worrying about all this and just do it. You know, be the Christian that we're called to be. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we took this time, Lord, to observe what you've done on the cross, Lord, as we took the bread and we took the juice or the wine, Lord, I just, Lord, we observe and remember and reflect and give you just glory and praise, Lord, that you have taken our sins upon you, Lord, and paid that penalty that we were supposed to pay. That penalty was death. And you took each one of our sins, past, present, and future, Lord, and your body was broken, broken for this, Lord. And your blood was shared, but it was shed in the covering once and for all, forever, for every, all of our sins, Lord. So, well, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this gift that you've given us, Lord. As we took communion today, as we followed that ordinance that you've given us, Lord, I just thank you, Lord. I ask that, Lord, you would just bless this time. And, Lord, you would just hear that that would be a worship, a form of worship to you, Lord, as we just... Thank you and praise you. And Lord, if there's any sin or anything that we're struggling with, maybe it's not even a sin. Maybe it's a could be a lack of faith, Lord. It could be that we're not in your word as we should be. Or maybe, as I heard some, that we just feel that we're not really, we're kind of being lazy as a Christian, Lord. That we're not really out there sharing and doing and using the, the different gifts and, that you've given us, Lord. I just pray, Lord, as we finish up kind of this series on this prophecy and these examples that you've given us, that we're to be doers of the word. We're not to sit idle, but we're to be busy, busy about doing your work. Lord, please give us the strength to do that through your Holy Spirit, but also give them wisdom and discernment of where each of us can be used and where we should serve. Lord, we love you so much, Lord, as we head out the door. Lord, we head into the mission field. Just show us, Lord. Show us what you'd have for each one of us, Lord. Protect us all. Guide us all. And just bless our time, Lord, this week. And be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen.